Welcome to the Way Community Podcast. Here you'll find various teachings and messages from within our community and also from guest speakers. If you're interested in finding out more about us, visit our website, the-way.com.au. We pray that this episode edifies you. Adam and I could minister out of our own giftings, but it's really important that we take time, not only to enthrone him, as we'll see this morning, but to invite the Holy Spirit, because, you know, there's, there's twice in the Gospels where Jesus makes out to go past or to carry on. You know, for example, in Luke 24, he makes out, he meets the disciples on the Emmaus Road, and then it says when they turned off to go to the place where they were staying, he was going to go on forward, which sort of does your head in. And it does that because God wants to get your attention. And similarly, in John chapter 6, when the, Jesus has, um, John chapter 6 is a, a really powerful chapter, but what I see in that scene is that uh, he feeds 5,000, Five is the, is the number of grace, and a thousand is as a nation, according to Isaiah 60, verse 22. A small one will be a thousand, a little one a nation. A thousand is as a nation. And so he feeds 5,000 people, five being grace and thousand being a nation. So he feeds the nation of grace. Who is the nation of grace? Israel. Amen? And uh, they take up, how many baskets of bread? Twelve. And the basket is a concave vessel. And as a concave vessel, is a picture of the human heart. So it just so happens that there happen to be twelve disciples. Uh, that as he pours himself and, and gives himself as a living sacrifice to Israel, they pick up the pieces. They pick up the revelation that he shared. Is that all right? He, he feeds those five thousand with five loaves. So he comes with the word the bread of grace rather than condemnation and judgment. And the two fish is the witness of revelation. All right, and miracles. All right, and then subsequently he feeds 4,000. But I want to major in on numbers, uh, chapter 6. But then he feeds 4,000, and 4, 000, 4 is the numbers or the four corners of the globe, and it's the nations of the world. And they take up seven baskets, and seven means that God wants to bring the nations, the hearts of the nations to rest. All right, and the disciples would carry that on after they've just seen his display of pouring himself out for Israel. Now they would do it for the nations. All right? So there was a dispensation for the nations, for the Gentile, the Goyim, as after Israel has been fed. But in that John chapter 6, it says that the people, when they saw him feed the 5,000, they wanted to take him and proclaim him king, but it wasn't the time for him to be proclaimed king. His triumphant entry was his recognition as king. All right, and so he, he, he denies that for them to try to take him and become king. And then he climbs to the top of a mountain where the Bible says that now in the book of Hebrews that he is in heaven interceding for us. And he goes to the top of the mountain and Mark says he's in prayer. All right, and then he sees his disciples struggling and they're trying to row across the sea. And he's told them already to go to the other side into eternity. All right, and they're trying to do it in their own strength. They can't do it. He sees them. All right, in the spirit, you couldn't see that far physically at night and so on. And so then he walks to them and then it says that he went to go past them in John chapter 6. But they perceived him to be a spirit. 
All right? Because now he comes to us after he has ascended, he comes to us as the Holy Spirit and he looks for us to invite him into the boat. And we could so easily, we could so easily move on in our own strength, in our own giftings and miss that. Same as it in the, the Emmaus Road. So he unlocks and releases revelation to them and is making up to go on and then they invite him in. All right. And then he shares through communion that he is revealed to them. And so it's really important, and that's why Adam and I particularly focus in on inviting the Holy Spirit, because we could just charge off doing our thing, unloading whatever God's given us without the Spirit of God invited. So Holy Spirit, every one of our hearts here invites you to come. Like only you can feed us. Only you can witness with our hearts. Only you Jesus says in John, we have, we have, you know, we, we, he says we, he's talking about Father, Son, Holy Spirit in him, we, and we have that witness within us, all right? So Holy Spirit, we just acknowledge our total need of you, and Lord, forgive us when we've just blustered our way through in our own strength, but Lord, Holy Spirit, lead us today, and Lord, I can bring a message, Lord, but you are the one who enliven it. So I pray that you would enliven it to me and to every heart in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, last night, I just shared there that um, we are a concave vessel. The 11th letter of the Hebrew alphabet is the letter Kaf, K-A-P, K-A-P-H. And in its original form, it's a concave hand. Well, we had a sister here whom I remember her name is Stephanie, who's over here now. And, and she was jumping or moving into puddles, all right? And a puddle is a concave vessel of a word, all right? Particularly, and Adam pointed out, it's not a muddy word. It's not something that's been stirred up, but they were clear water puddles, all right? So they could be nations, they could be people, they could be hearts. Well, it's very interesting that in Joshua chapter 1, I think it's verse 6, and he says to Joshua, giving Joshua instructions to go into the kingdom. All right, This is when they actually had to step into the kingdom. And you need to understand that when Israel stepped into, they came from, I explained this to the interns yesterday, that when Israel moved from Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land, we traverse from the world, from having our minds renewed, because we've all been programmed by our world, conditioned by our world, to then stepping into the land of his promises. They moved into the promised land, and we moved into the land of his promises. And all of his promises in him are? Yes, and in him, amen. Correct? All right, and so God wants us, God is more benevolent than we realize, and because we've been inoculated against that because of the knocks of life. But God is more benevolent than we realize and wants to give us more than we can you know, perhaps appreciate at times and, and can fathom or, or grasp a hold of. So the instruction that God gives Joshua is he says that every place, I mean, there's lots of instruction there. Be bold and, and courageous three times in that passage. There's, um, you know, meditate on my word day and night. Joshua 1 verse 8, most of us would know that verse. And then 1 6, he says, Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread, I've given you. Well, the word there for soul is the word cuff. All right, the 11th letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So every place, 
and your, the sole of your foot. Now, that word calf is used for the concave vessels or the concave spoons that are used in temple worship because they're a concave vessel. It also describes the palm fronds and their concave nature to draw water back towards the plant in a dry climate. You understand what I'm saying? So that calf, every palm has a calf, you know, this concave vessel. And you and I are those concave vessels. David writes in Psalm 23, my cup overflows, so therefore he's a concave vessel and the goodness of God is overflowing out of his heart. So when God says to Joshua, every place that your foot shall tread, I've given you, what he says is, this is basically what it is in the spirit. Every place that I release a revelation to you into your spirit, step on it. Every place that I, all right? And so in our sister yesterday, and I didn't want to distract from what Adam was praying, but what it also says is this, is that God's going to give you revelation to step on as well, where to visit and who to visit. And stepping in puddles is very childlike, isn't it? We'd go out of our way as children to do that, to experience that. And so I can see why Adam interpreted what he did in the Holy Ghost about it being a ministry to children as well. All right, And you can see that God's, his, God's message and method in that parable last night. So when Peter stepped out of the boat, he wasn't so much walking on water. He was walking on Jesus' word, come. Boom. All right. Very often when you're moving in faith, you don't know the end from the beginning, but God just gives you the impetus. Do you understand what I'm saying? So sometimes God says to people like Samuel, he says, go to Jesse's house. But he didn't say, go to Jesse's house and anoint David. And then through a process of elimination... Surely Eliab, surely Shammah, surely all these sons who presented to him are the ones. And God says, look, I don't see as man sees, but I see the heart. And then he calls for the runt of the litter out there looking after the sheep. And suddenly he says, we're not going to eat until we sit down with him because he's got to be the only one that's left. And sometimes God doesn't reveal the end from the beginning, but you step out in faith. And suddenly, by a process of elimination, all right, God then will open the door and show you what he's doing. Is that okay? Hallelujah. And so what I see where we are poised in Australia and throughout the world is that there is a prophetic move taking place and recognition for the importance of the prophetic. Uh, No longer is the the prophetic just that off-cast that no one knows really know what to do with because they're the lunatic fringe of the church. (laughs) All right. Um, Every one of you is more prophetic than you know or realize. Every one of you is more prophetic than you would care to acknowledge. How do I know that? I know that because we enter the kingdom through revelation, and I'll teach that in a moment. But if that's true, we enter the kingdom through revelation, and we'll qualify that in a moment. Um, The Bible says it's the Father's goodwill to give you the kingdom. And that's true of every one of us as individuals and corporately. And so therefore, if God's going to give us that and it's his goodwill to give it, then he's going to release revelation or the prophetic for us to move into that. So therefore, we are all more prophetic than we've been perhaps labeled. We might not all be seer prophets or nobby prophets, you know, the ecstatic prophets, the Stacey Campbells and the shaking of the head and all that sort of thing and the flow. But, but we are all more prophetic than we realize because every one of us can receive revelation. And I see it in the body of Christ as a growing of the, the, the prophetic, as a spearhead for the body of Christ, an acknowledgement that we need the prophetic, but there's also a growing awareness that we need to be undergirded by the word of God all right, as our foundation. And it's quirky, not coincidental, that Adam and I have been put together 
Uh, and we, uh, the overlap is minimal in the terms of our character, what we like. Uh, you know, like he's a night person, I'm a morning person, I'm an early bed person. You know, he likes savory, or he likes sweet, and I like savory. You know, it's just like we're worlds apart, and yet we realize that God's drawn us together for a purpose. And uh, we've got to, as the body of Christ, realize that God's going to do that more and more. Um, and I think the, the witness that two people bring is a very, very powerful thing. Um, the, two, the two spies that went into Jericho and brought Rahab out actually aren't two spies. They're two witnesses. All right? And what they do is they draw from Rahab the witness of her head and her heart. And we need both the head and the heart if we're going to receive from God, as you'll see this morning. Are you doing all right? Okay. So I want to bring a teaching. I want to bring a teaching to accelerate us into the kingdom because the, the passion of my heart and the burden on my heart is we've been playing religious games for such a long time, playing church for such a long time, and we've negated the kingdom. Uh, we, we thought that the gospel primarily was that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. That's the first Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 4. And we forgot to read all the rest of the chapter through to verse 25, where he's now seated on the right-hand side of the Father, waiting for his enemies to be placed under his footstool, which means that he's enthroned, and he's enthroned now. And so that when Jesus ascended and led captivity captive, Ephesians 4, verse 8, that's a picture of a triumphant king after the victory of the battle at the cross, coming back and bringing with, that, with him in the, his train or in those, that parade that's behind him all those that were held captive, and that's you and I, to the devil. And now he's distributing gifts to us. And now he's enthroned. He's there right now. And if you are taking notes, you could look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 12 through 14, and, and it there declares this, that we've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and we have redemption through his blood. But we've majored in on redemption, and that's not a bad thing, but we also need to understand that there's redemption... It's the cross and the kingdom. It's the blood and the kingdom. And we've majored in on the cross. But you, you can't speak about the kingdom without speaking about the cross. And so we, we have to be careful that we realize that you can't speak about the kingdom without coming through the cross. Is that okay? Because you need both. All right. Otherwise, if all we do is major in on the cross, then we become a historical society and we have no relevance and power for a dying world. Is that Okay. All right. And so God wants us to live in the now. Most of us have projected the kingdom to a future dispensation when Jesus returns, and it becomes a carrot that's dangled before us that we never actually re get to. And therefore, many people that you knew were, were frequenting church are not now not because they've become disillusioned in that process. All right, they had all these promises, and, and the Bible says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so they go, well, this is a, you know, it's a crock, for want of a better word. You know what I'm saying? And so they go, you know, it's a lie. But they don't realize that we're here right now. Is that okay? So the kingdom is both here now and in the future. That sort of does our head in a little bit. In Matthew chapter 8, now, I was explaining to the interns yesterday that in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus lays out the precepts of the kingdom or the tenets or the building blocks of the kingdom, the very foundations of the kingdom in what we call the Beatitudes, which does them a disservice in a way because we and then we sort of belittle them. Beatitudes, be, belittle them. Sorry, I didn't mean to muck around with that, but it just came out. So um, 
You know, the, the Beatitudes start, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then it finishes, or the eighth precepts, the eighth one, is blessed are those who persecute you, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of heaven are two bookends, all right? And there they are. So they're like that in the, in the scriptures, but then you turn them sideways and become bookends, and you realize that there's an inversion laid there, and Jesus is actually laying out the foundation blocks for the kingdom. And then in, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the rest of the words in red, where he does this deep teaching, he's actually filling that out, putting some body on the bones, all right, and then in the rest of the gospel, he fills that out and demonstrates the kingdom from those very precepts. But that means that in Matthew chapter 8, he's beginning his ministry. So Jesus doesn't really start his ministry until Matthew chapter 8. And Matthew's gospel is the, is the gospel of the kingdom. Is that right? So if you want to learn about the kingdom, you read Matthew's gospel. We'll compare that in a minute to Luke's gospel, but Matthew's gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. And in, in the beginning of that, that unfurling or unlocking on, or displaying of the kingdom in Matthew chapter 8, first of all, he, heal, he cleanses the leper, and I won't go into what I taught yesterday about that because it, it's just like I can, get, I can get into lots of rabbit, rabbit, rabbit burrows. Uh, um, um, and then he heals a centurion's servant, and then he goes to Peter's mother-in-law's house, or Peter's house, and sorry, and heals Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. You know the story, don't you? And then it says, that night they brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed, and with a word he cast out the demons, and he healed everybody who was, who was sick. Are you correct? And then it says this amazing thing, a really amazing thing, and he's, it says in Matthew chapter 8, and he did this to fulfill what Isaiah said, that he bore our sicknesses and diseases. Let me ask you a question. When did Jesus bear our sicknesses and diseases? On the cross. Well, technically, it's from the whipping post to the cross because by his stripes we're healed. So, in that passion time, from the whipping post to the cross, he bore our sicknesses and diseases. But he's in Matthew chapter 8. He's not yet come to Matthew chapter 27. All right? What's he doing? He is accessing an eternal truth. And that eternal truth, if this is a timeline, and I'm on chronological time here, and here I am in Matthew chapter 8, and I'm Jesus, he knows in eternity he's already the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth, Revelation 13, 8. And he steps into eternity, accesses a truth, boom, and then steps back into chronological time and applies that. You and I have access. You and I have access. You can't access the kingdom without the cross. He stepped into Isaiah 53, accessed the truth that was recorded in Isaiah 53, and brought it back. How many other places of access are there? I can't open that up here this morning, but that book, Hidden in Plain Sight, does. All right? And I've sold them all now. I think they're all gone. All right? So... But that's what that does. It unlocks those other places of access and how we enter into the kingdom. Now, where was I going with this? The kingdom is both future, but it's current as well. Eternity is not outside of time. It's outside of chronological time, but technically it's the fullness of time. So everything that's ever happened in eternity is already recorded. 
but we're in chronological time and what we need to do is get a heart that's into that realm and live out of that realm rather than this realm, what we see and move by here. Are you okay? All right. So if you want to accelerate your steps into the kingdom, then many passages of scripture hide keys for us. And, and I, I love to teach the word and I love to make people passionate about the word. All right. <clears throat> that is my passion. Uh, and that's why I believe it's a move of the prophetic, but also the foundation of the word. We, if, without that, we go astray. So one of the secrets is within the Word, and if you've been reading the Word for a while, is that often in the journeys, like, so how did Elijah train Elisha? All right, it's not recorded. Uh, what, did, what did Jesus teach the disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, when he was with them for 40 days, teaching about the kingdom? It's not recorded. But it is recorded. It's elsewhere in Scripture. It's in that eternal realm that we need and have access to. That's why they didn't record it. You know, you need to understand that that's also proof that the kingdom's in place right now because if the kingdom wasn't in place or coming into place as soon as the apostles or the disciples were with his ascension, that was his enthronement. His ascension, by the way, is his enthronement. With his ascension and his enthronement, if the disciples weren't stepping into it immediately, then they would have recorded it. And we would have a copy of that, just as we have the Gospels and just as we have the Epistles and, and the rest of the New Testament, correct? But they didn't because it's hidden for those who have eyes to see from Genesis 1 through to the end of the Gospels. It, all of the stories and narratives hide. And see, the language of the kingdom is parables. And that's why Adam and I teach dreams. Because if you learn the language, then you can learn the language out of Scripture as well. Or if you learn the language in Scripture and have the ability to plumb the Scriptures, then you can also plumb your dreams and visions. Because you go, it's not just a story. There's a truth behind that story, and you look for the keys and the pivotal points to open to you, and you can enter into that. Are you okay? Where was I? <clears throat> if you want to grasp how Elijah trained Elisha, you would look at 2 Kings chapter 2 and look at the journey that they went from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to Jordan. And you'd look at the interactions of people there and the names and what took place along that journey. All right. If you want to learn about uh, how Isaac becomes a true son of God instead of just being, you know, cushy, you know, like making just... His Christian experience, as it were today, was on a, on, a, on a, he was just comfortable, and suddenly he's discomforted. God discomforts him so that he will grow. Anybody been discomforted lately? <laughs> Amen? All right, so God discomforts us so that we are forced to grow because he, he doesn't want us to stay babies. And so you'd read Genesis 26, and you'd look at Isaac's journey through the wells, through Essex, Sidna, uh, Rehoboth, and then Besheba. Right, and, if you, and then if you watched him go through those wells, you'd see his, his development into becoming a son of God in his own right, rather than riding off his father's coattail. Is that okay? Well, likewise, if you want to know how to enter the kingdom, then you look at the life of Christ. And how did Jesus grow up? It's not recorded, but it is recorded. It's hidden for those who have eyes to see. 
And that recording is in the testings or the, what we call the temptations of Christ. And that's what I want to open to you this morning. Because I believe our call, our call is to step into the kingdom. All right? And I, for one, want that to be accelerated. Who doesn't? All right? And so what you see in Jesus' temptations or tests is how he grew and the principles that you need to harness the three major principles you need to grab a hold of so that you can step and access the kingdom more vibrantly in your life. Now, if you're a Bible scholar or if you're a student of the word, you will notice that there's a difference between Luke's gospel of the temptations or the tests and Matthew's temptations and tests. I don't know how astutely or how keenly you may have seen that, but if let me just explain to you. The last two temptations or tests in Matthew's gospel differ from the two temptations in Luke's gospel. They've been changed around. Now Luke, so we have Matthew, the lion, Mark, the ox, Luke, the man, and John, the eagle, the divine. So Luke's gospel portrays Jesus as Jesus the man. And in Luke's gospel, you'll see him praying more than he does anything else. So when he's being baptized, he's praying. And so Luke's gospel is the gospel of prayer. Are you with me? Because he's, he's a man and he's needing to be in touch with God through prayer. All right, you don't see that so much in the other synoptics. Is that okay? All right, now... <clears throat> Luke's gospel's approach to the tests are this. He looks at it from the perspective of man. And he looks at it to answer Eve's failure. And in 1 John, 1 John writes and he says, All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is of the world. All right? And so when Eve was in the garden in Genesis chapter 3 when she fell, she looked at the, the fruit and she saw it was good. All right. Then she saw that the tree was desirable. All right. And then it was well. Then she saw it was pleasant to the eyes. The tree was pleasant to the eyes. And then it was desirable to make one wise. She fell to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. All right. Which is a danger for us in our humanity. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You probably heard this, the ministry. You know the messages about the gold, the girls, and the glory. All those sort of things. You know that sort of those messages. If you've been around a while, you've heard those messages. <clears throat> so that's what we're prone to fall into in our own humanity, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But that sequence has a chronological sequence as portrayed in Luke. But, but Matthew does something and he changes it up. And commentators say, well, there was actually six temptations. They're trying to accommodate the two and they're trying to read into it chronologically that the three have got to match up somehow. But they don't realize that eternity or the kingdom works through eternal time. And so you can change it up in eternity, but it can still be true in chronological time. Just as Jesus stepped out of chronological time and stepped into eternity, accessed it and brought it back. Now that does my head in as well. And I'm trying to, hopefully you're staying with me. All right, is that okay? Um, so Jesus, this is the test in Matthew's gospel that is important for us to grasp a hold of. I'm, I'm hoping that you're still with me. In Matthew's gospel, the devil comes to him and says, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Is that correct? 
And Jesus says, you know, rack off, Noddy. Uh, he says, um, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In, in Luke's gospel, he actually says something different. But in Matthew's gospel, that's what he says. In Luke's gospel, he says, man shall live by every word of God. All right, but when he does that, he's actually quoting from Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. So man does not live by bread alone, but by every word spoken out of the mouth of God. And I was sharing yesterday with the interns that when Israel were moving from Egypt into the wilderness experience to go into the promised land, they had to learn one major truth. And it is the pivotal verse for them, and it's Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. The pivotal verse that they had to learn and what God wanted to impart to them and to us, because we parallel that journey, was the importance of manna. And manna is defined in that verse. In Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, it says, man says this is what he says. He says, look, uh, I led you into the wilderness. I humbled you and I caused you to hunger. And I fed you with manna that you didn't know and that your fathers didn't know that you might come to know that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So there's two generations of people there. Your fathers didn't know it, and you didn't know it, but I've fed you with manna that you might come to know that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Manna is defined for us spiritually what it is there in that one verse. Manna is that which proceeds out of the Father's mouth. Manna is the spoken word. Let me put it in our vernacular. Manna is the rhema word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rhema word of God, all right? The living word of God, all right? And so, are you with me? Okay, and so what he teaches them is this, that we, they needed manna to proceed. You say, well, that's okay, Adrian, that's Old Testament. What about us in the New Testament? I mean, most people have written off the Old Testament because it's, it's couched in law, but they don't realize that the truth that's behind the law and the strength of the law, it, the revelation that's within it, is part of our access and part of our provision today. And that's, that's one book. And so some churches make the mistake of just staying in the New Testament and encourage people to stay in the New Testament. And it's good to start reading the New Testament so that you get a hold of where you're at. But it, it opens up, and the truth of the New Testament is bigger than you know, the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed and the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. It's bigger than that. Much, much bigger than that. And that is like, that's baby talk. All right? But that's a good start. All right, now... Manna is revelation. We go, well, where is that in the New Testament? How do, we, how, how do I know that I need revelation every day? Well, we have a prayer, and we've, it's been called the Lord's Prayer, and we say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily... What is daily bread? It's manna. All right, so you and I need revelation every day. If you're not getting revelation each day, then your spirit's not being fed. Ooh. I mean, we are all guilty. You know what I'm saying? And, but God is encouraging us. We need to go out and search for fresh manna. We need to separate ourselves from the rest of the family and go dig or go look. Are you okay? All right. But then it says this. It says that manna, you didn't know it and neither did your fathers know it. Now, we know in the wisdom of hindsight that the fathers from Numbers chapter 13 and 14, they saw themselves as grasshoppers in their own sight. They belittled themselves. They underappreciated who they were as a people, as a family of God. 
and they didn't realise their inheritance that they had because what God wanted to step into them, for them to step in more. You know, when we have resistance, it doesn't mean that God's not in it. It just means sometimes the enemy set up shop and he wants to stop us moving into what's our inheritance. And so the enemy planted giants in the land and strongholds in the land doesn't mean that it wasn't Israel's destiny to move into that. But what we tend to do is we, oh, resistance, I'll give up with that. And God wants us to, pers- to persist. And, and what we find is as you persist, it breaks and you move in. Opposition is normal. And we've got to get used to the fact that opposition's normal. All right? It doesn't mean necessarily that God's in everything with his opposition. But it, what we need to realize is that when God does call us into things, it's quite normal to get resistance. Is that okay? All right, now, so we know in the wisdom of hindsight that they saw themselves and they had a wrong mindset about who they were. What this suggests then is that manna, because they didn't know it, it suggests that manna has the capacity to challenge a wrong mindset or revelation has the capacity to change mindsets and challenge a wrong mindset. So there's the one good reason why you and I need it because every one of us have put a ceiling on ourselves and we have wrong mindsets about ourselves, but we need revelation and suddenly that revelation provides us with a challenge to that wrong mindset. Is that okay? Secondly, it says that this generation didn't know manna. The current generation. So that means now it's you and I. So in the wisdom of hindsight, we can see that the Israelites were like that. But now this current generation needs manna. Why do we need manna? We need manna because sometimes God wants us to step beyond our current experience. And manna provides a framework and a model for us to step into something beyond ourselves. Does that make sense? And so if you can frame it up and you can picture that in your heart, you can step into that. Jesus said, the kingdom of God's within you. The kingdom of God's within you. Not, are you. not only are you a portal to another realm, but the kingdom of God is dependent on the way that you view the world. What you say to yourself and what you hold to be true in here. That's the kingdom of God that, you, that exists according to your imagination. Are you Okay. We build the kingdom in accordance with what's inside of us because the kingdom of God's inside of us. So what God does is he provides parables, he provides dreams, he provides scenarios and narratives throughout Scripture so that as we see and God releases the revelation from that narrative, from that thing, we can step into that narrative, that story, and we can own that revelation and we can start moving in that in our realm by faith. Are you okay? Does that make sense? Hopefully it makes sense. So the number one lesson that the Israelites and that Jesus had to learn to to mature, to become into the king that he was, was the number one thing that we need is revelation. Revelation is the honey that Samson draws from the carcass of the lion. You go, what's going on there? It says that Samson destroyed that lion and defeated that lion like you would sacrifice a young kid. A young kid is a sin offering, which Jesus was on the cross. But it's also, that line is a picture of legalism, territorial strength, and that's the legal power of the law, the word of God, the Old Testament law, which wants to keep people in fear, all right? It's territorial. Samson is a picture of Christ. He destroys that law, and what he does from the law, from the Old Testament, he draws honey out of it, and honey is revelation. And then he goes on eating that honey. We've got to go on eating honey. That's why when Jonathan 
it doesn't hear, well, he doesn't hear the command of his father not to eat until all the Philistines are destroyed. You know that after Jonathan's rout in 1 Samuel chapter 14, he dips his javelin or his spear in the honeycomb, brings it to his lips, and the Bible says that his eyes were enlightened. Now, when you want to get a depth of field of understanding beyond the pure narrative, where else have you heard that? Their eyes were enlightened. You bring two verses together. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 8. The eyes of your eyes, your eyes of your understanding being enlightened. All right, and you want to get a depth of field, you bring the two lenses together and you'll see something that you can't see just with the naked eye as you're reading the story. And you go, bam, well, there's a truth there. Okay, God, you've unlocked it for me. Are you okay? All right, and so... Revelation is the stone in David's sling. I was explaining to the students yesterday that when we interpret dreams and when you interpret things, um, circular things have no beginning, no end, and therefore they're a depiction of the eternal. Adam and I have just finished a book late last year, and it's due to be released in November this year on angels. And very often angels may manifest as an orb in a meeting. Why? Because they're an eternal creature. And whichever way you look at it, it's a circle. And so you may have seen photographs that were not merely just refraction from lights, but actually a being in the meeting. Because sometimes it can be a refraction from, of lights, okay? So let's be real. But, uh, you know, we need to realize also that angels do manifest, and they are here. Most angels don't manifest, by the way. Most angel, angelic activity is unseen. But most of us want an angel encounter, a physical angel encounter, don't we? So we can put it in our brag bag. <laughs> Isn't it true? It is, you know. But, but we need to realize that most angelic uh, expression is hidden. Let's go on with, our, with, with Jesus. So the number one thing that as a child he, he, he grows and he understands the importance of revelation. You and I need to understand that it's pivotal for us. If we're going to progress and we're going to step into and experience the kingdom and become the kings and priests, the Melech and the Kohen, of, of the kingdom, then we first of all need to receive revelation, all right? Primarily from the word of God, but when we realize that, it all comes through dreams, visions, and even physical, tangible, natural phenomena God starts to speak to us through as we become attuned to what God's saying and the way that he uses his language. Because his language, the language of the kingdom is parables. Parables are not just what Jesus used in Matthew 13, 18, 20, and 21. Parables are riddles, they're puzzles, they're enigmas. And God is continually speaking to us through that filter. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to actually work it out and see what he's actually saying. And look through the filter, through the filter, not through, through the filter and actually see what he's saying and understand what he's saying. All right. And so it's no good going to a prophetic school unless you learn that God uses parables. If you don't learn the language, what's the point? You know, you can learn all the, the, you know, the, the, the terminology, but if you don't understand that there's a language to this kingdom, then it, you, you, if I transport you to France and you're, you're born in France, but you never learn the language, how are you going to grow? You're not. You're not going to be able to go to school. You're not going to understand. You're not going to be able to communicate with anybody. And when your father speaks to you, you wouldn't understand what he's saying because you don't understand French. We need to understand the language of the kingdom and its parables. Okay. Major lesson there for us. Amen. So Jesus, the devil comes to him and he says, look, if you're the son of God, 
Turn these stones into bread. In Luke's gospel, he only says, turn this stone. It doesn't say stones, plural. Interesting, maybe. All right. But just some slight differences. All right. But he says, look, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We need revelation. We need, and we, and the, the conditions for revelation are given to us in Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. It says, I, 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 I humbled you and I caused you to hunger. We need those two aspects, humility and hunger. We need humility and hunger to receive from God. Is that okay? All right, let's move on. You cannot move on to stage two unless you've got stage one. You cannot move into the second of the tests or the temptations as they're labelled in our Bibles uh, without having stage one under your belt. If you don't realise the importance of revelation, then you cannot move on. And then the second test, now he, he draws from Deuteronomy 8 verse 3 there. In the second test, he, he says to Jesus, um, you, you know, throw yourself, he puts him on the pinnacle of the temple and he says, throw yourself down because it's written that God has given angels charge over you. He's quoting Psalm 91. Do you, understand, you know what you're witnessing with what I'm saying? All right. And Jesus says, what does he say? You shall not test the Lord thy God. All right. Now, when he does so, he draws from a passage in the book of Deuteronomy. He draws from, so he drew from Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. It's interesting that Deuteronomy is the book that is, is the rephrasing of all the lessons that they learn just before they st step into the kingdom. Is that okay? And then, so Jesus draws from that, that composite of, you know, like revelation and truth that you need to step in. And he draws from Deuteronomy 6. He draws from two verses. First of all, he draws from Deuteronomy 6 verse 16 and then he draws from Deuteronomy 6 verse 13. So if you've got those three verses, Deuteronomy 8, 3, 6, 16, and 6, 13, then you've got his responses to the tests that he undergoes. So Jesus says, you shall not test the Lord thy God. It's written, you shall not test the Lord thy God. Now, in Deuteronomy 6, verse 16, Jesus says, well, what God says is, you shall not tempt the Lord thy God as you did at Massa. And if you go back and you read what they did in Massa, in Exodus chapter 17, verse 7, it says, How the children of Israel tested me, doubting that I was amongst them. So how did they test him? They tested him by doubt. They doubted his presence with them. Now, doubt and fear of man have a particular effect on us as human beings. The number one thing you need, first of all, is revelation. If you don't have revelation, you cannot step into the next dimension. But the next dimension Jesus actually portrays for us and displays for us is this. Well, it's one thing to get revelation. It's the second thing to come into the place where you don't test God and you don't test God with doubt. Now, what doubt does is it builds and divides our head and our heart. We need both our head and our heart in this thing. Let me explain to you. When God releases revelation, it doesn't primarily come here. It comes to here, to your heart. And then your head analyzes that and then perhaps gives expression to what you understand God's saying to here. Is that all right? You decipher what he's saying. You decode what he's saying. And you go, boom. Well, what doubt does is it, it puts something in here after God's played something in here and they're not in alignment. The two aren't one. So when Gideon 
This is in Judges. Judges 6, I believe. <clears throat> Judges 6 and 7. When Gideon takes his men to defeat the enemy, in Judges chapter 6, verse 16, God says to Gideon, the mighty man that he is, that he doesn't realize that he is, like most of us, he says to him, you will defeat the enemy as one man. Now, that one man, of course, is Jesus Christ. Most commentators say that that one man it means this, that the enemy will be like, you'll be able to rout them like there's only one man there. That's not true. That doesn't fit the context at all. But what fits the context is this. How does Gideon narrow down his men? First of all, he separates all those that are in fear. He's got 32,000 men. 22,000 men lead because they've got fear. What does fear of man do? Fear of man, what fear of man does is it divides our head and our heart. If you have fear, then you might be saying one thing with your mouth, but your heart actually is in another place. And if you do that, if you have that, and I'm not condemning that, but if, if that's the case, then what happens is this, that the enemy will try you and you'll fold like a pack of cards because your foundation's not strong. Is that, you know, and we can be confessing all these things out of our mouth, but if we don't really believe it in our heart, boom, we're gone. We're a goner. All right, so the first thing we need, though, is revelation, when revelation comes to here. So we don't move on good ideas, but we move on God ideas, and God plants something in our heart. Once it's there, then our job is to get our mouth and our actions, our head and everything else, our soul, in line with what he's put in our spirit. So our spirit and soul are one. And once we're one, the enemy can't rout us. Is that right? So what he does, doubt does the same thing as the fear of man. Are you okay? So that when Gideon's men... When Gideon's working with his men, this is how, with those 10,000 men, he takes them down to the creek or the brook. And he, what they do is, they, he says, get them to drink out of the stream. And as they're drinking out of the stream, it says, some of them lap like dogs. And so what it says is they, they went down, they brought the water up into their the cupped hand, which might be suggestion of something, or their heart. And it's running water. Running water is the Spirit of God. And they bring that Spirit of God into their heart and then they lap it like dogs. Now, commentators say the reason that he chose those men is because they were more alert. You know, like they were the SAS, you know, like or the, or the Rangers if you were in the US. You know, like the, the elite of the elite because they were like... But if they were the elite of the elite, if they were the rangers, if they were the best of the best, sir, then who's going to get the glory? And not God, but they. So that's not true. It cannot be true. And it says that the others kneeled to drink. So they just like, you know, the face plant in the river, basically. And they, they were drinking from the string. Most people say because they kneeled, they were actually, it's, it's a depiction of those who kneeled to idols. I don't think that's true either. But what God does is it shows us the importance of this. We've got to receive something in our heart, the running water of the Spirit of God, and we've got to bring that in alignment with our mouth. Oh, God, that's a good revelation. And now I'm going to speak and I'm going to decree and my words and my actions are going to be line up with what you just put in my heart. That's one man. Now, in, in case we didn't get it, then God says this. Now, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take those 300 men 300 is also an, uh, a markation or a representation of the glory of God. 300. Solomon had 300 shields of gold uh, built and they were hung on the tower 
I think it was the Tower of Lebanon or something like that. And what they would do is the sun would shine on them. History, this is not scriptural, but in history it says that the sun would shine on those shields and reflect the sun off that gold and it represented the glory of God's in residence over Israel. What happened was uh, Solomon was replaced by one of his sons, Rehoboam, I think it was, and uh, he displayed to the Syrians, I think it is, that he had all these treasures and they took the shields of gold and he replaced the shields with brass. The only trouble with brass is, is it tarnishes. It might look the same for a while, but it tarnishes so they'd keep cleaning it. All right, man does that. We, we want to re- replace the glory of God with something that's tarnished. All right, moving on, uh, Gideon gets his men and they have a, a torch, a flame, and they have an earthen vessel and they have a, a trumpet or a shafar in their right hand and a flame in their left in an earthen vessel. We have this treasure in an earthen vessel, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7. And so what he says is, look at me, guys, and when I break that earthen vessel and when the earthly constraints are broken away from the glory that's been revealed to us, the fire of God within us, that's Jeremiah 20 as well. I'm not going to speak your word, but your fire burns within me. Suddenly he's got a revelation and now he's got to speak it. All right, And so they've got a revelation, that's the fire of God, and that's the same fire that the disciples received in, Matthew, in Luke 24 as on the Emmaus Road. Their hearts burnt within them because he was releasing revelation to them. So they get a revelation, it's like a fire inside of us. We break the earthly constraints, and then suddenly as they break the earthly constraints, and suddenly they, the voice of the shafar, the shafar is a horn, a horn in scripture in the Hebrew culture is a symbol of strength, you know, the, the, that, that creature, that animal, can exert all of its power through the tip of that horn, right? Which means it's, it's power. And so here you have the power, but it's been, it had the, the flesh cut out, and so it's a picture of the prophetic. And so the prophet, all right, is now speaking. Can you understand what the prophet's saying? You can't understand it, but in the spirit, it's decreeing something, and suddenly it lines up with the revelation in here. Bam, you've got one man. And even though there's 300 of them, you route the enemy as one man because it's Christ in you. The hope of glory. Do you understand? So, number one, we need to get revelation. Number two, we need to line our soul, our mouth, our thinking, and line up with the revelation that God releases to us. And we need to model that and, and own that. Put your imagination, wrap your imagination around it because that's the reality rather than what you see here right now. And we go so consumed by what people think, how people's faces are reading, you know, what, they, what we see rather than what we move by faith. Is that okay? And so God wants us to grow up. If we're going to enter the kingdom, get revelation. All right. Now, this is also called truth. What's truth? Truth is when your heart and your head say the same thing. Like the tumblers on a lock. And so suddenly the spirit of truth comes on truth. And so like the tumblers of a lock, suddenly you're, you're dealing with that safe or whatever it happens to be and click, click, two to the right, and 14 to the left, you know, whatever it happens to be. And suddenly click, 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 click. When the heart and the head or the mouth line up, boom, Independence Day. You know, you know like you are in this place where there's a oneness in you. You've got a connection with God, and now God's speaking through you. And it's not you speaking, but God speaking. So when God releases revelation and you line your mouth up with it, 
You have the authority to move in the revelation that he released to you. And it's not you speaking, but God speaking through you. Well, I thought it deserved more than that. But anyway, (laughs) if we only took a hold of the fact that when we get revelation and it's not us speaking, suddenly the enemy is routed because if we knew the very position and the authority we're speaking with and who it is that's speaking. So Jesus, so the devil said to him, if you throw yourself down, the angels will tend to you. Jesus isn't moved by doubt because he knows that they're already all right, so he's not moved by doubt, but it's interesting at the end of these tests in Matthew, the angels come and minister to him. They don't come and minister to him in Luke's gospel, but in Matthew's gospel, it records that the angels come and minister to him. So it's a given for Jesus that when you're in the kingdom, angels are at work. You don't have to doubt that. But most of their work is not manifest. And so in Matthew chapter 8, we were talking about the centurion servant, or his, in John, it's his son. But in, in Matthew, Matthew chapter 8, his servant is healed. The centurion displays and says, look, because look, I'm also a man under authority, and if I say go, one goes, and if I say come, one comes. You know, Slaves and servants will move at my beckoning. He understands that in the unseen realm, there's a hierarchy at work in the spirit realm, and the angels will move in alignment with what Christ says as the king. And when the king speaks through you, those angels go to work. And as I shared this last night, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, it says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth for the heirs of salvation? Now we go, this is, we, we overly play this. We go, well, God, go sick them. You know, like, go north, go south, go east and west and send your angels to bring in those heirs. And now there's a truth to that. And we can claim that. But also understand that the word for, used there in the book of Hebrews, is also the word through. So are they not all ministering spirits sent forth through the heirs of salvation? Who might that be? That's us. And so I, 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 I'm not sure whether I mentioned it last night or yesterday in the daytime. But angels come to earth through your mouth. All right, They don't physically come to earth through your mouth, but they come to earth by what you say when you align your mouth up with what God's revelation has released to you. So Psalm 103 verse 20 says, Praise the Lord, you whose angels who excel in strength, Hearkening unto his voice, doing his word, doing his commandments, depending on your translation. And so when God speaks, angels go to work. When God speaks through you, angels go to work. Verse 19 of Psalm 103 says, God is enthroned in heaven. Praise the Lord, you his angels who excel in strength. When we realize that God's already enthroned, Jesus is enthroned in heaven, he's the king. Wherever the king is, the kingdom is in place. And as we we recognize him as king in our hearts, suddenly the kingdom is in place. And then suddenly when he releases revelation to us and we start to speak in line with that, angels go to work. All right. So we're not alone. It's not little old Adrian or Adam or Fred or Mary or whoever you are. Dan, it doesn't really matter. You know, It, it doesn't matter who you are. God's moving through you when you've heard and you've, you're releasing what God says to you. Is that okay? So we want to move into the kingdom. We want to accelerate. First of all, we need revelation. Number two is we have to align ourselves and not worry about and Don't get caught up with looking for angel feathers, gemstones, because as we give him glory, our focus should be on him and those things will manifest. And angels, most angelic work is unseen because theirs is to draw the glory to God, not to themselves. Otherwise, we'd all be looking around and like getting distracted, going, we want to see angels, and we get deceived. We need to be careful. We need a foundation in the word. 
All right, and so you also see it in John chapter 5, the healing of the, the angel, the stirring of the waters at John chapter 5. You don't see that angel ministering, or, you know, Jesus makes reference to him. You don't see that, you know, in Joshua chapter 5, Joshua meets with the captain of the Lord of hosts, the captain of the Lord's armies of angels before the walls of Jericho fall down. And we're really dull, but we never really realized that when they were obedient, who pulled those walls down? What's the point of meeting with the angel, the Lord of the commander of the Lord's host, if they weren't involved in the process of bringing those walls down? Do you understand? And we just go, oh, that's just coincidental. They were obedient. And so, you know, like something happened, there was an earthquake, or, you know, like we, we put up any other thing, but we realized that angels were at work. Likewise, you know, in Malachi 3, this is astounding, but four times, in the teaching about tithing and giving, God says this. He says, um, test me now. This, the Lord of hosts, four times. The Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse and see whether you can outgive me and see if I won't pour out a blessing for you. The Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts. Four means in eternity there are angels at work. And what this also declares is that when God says that, God is concerned about your finance, and angels are commissioned to protect your finance. Wow. You know, what this means is for those who tithe, all right, so you, when you're regular giving to the work and the, the, the church of God, what that means is that angels are dispatched to protect your future income. Wow. I mean, sorry. It's just the truth. All right, I'm not sorry, but we need to grab a hold of that truth, don't we? That, hey, well, you know, none of us like to be talked about money, but we need to realize that God takes it seriously and sends angels to protect our future income. Wow. Whew. I love it. I claim it, Lord. You know, Adam and I were so busy, it was last year, sometime last year, that we had forgotten to tithe. And everything that we did was getting halved. We looked at each other, what's going on? He goes, have you tithed? I said, no. Have you? He goes, no. Boom, let's do it. And suddenly the whole thing just turned around. Because it says, you know, because the devourer can't come in when you are obedient. I'm honestly, I'm just bearing our hearts. We fall prey to that as well in our busyness, okay? And so, bam, it just turned around like that. Number one, you need revelation. Number two, you need to get your heart and, and aligned. Don't go looking for angels. Angels are there. Angels are here. You're witnessing with this. And then finally, uh, what's the next test? The next test is that he takes him up on the, the high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world, and says, I'll give you all these things if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus says to him, Jesus says to him, <clears throat> I do know what he says. I'm just waiting. This is called, this is called pregnancy. You know, pregnant pause. Um, he says to him, you shall worship the Lord thy God and only him shall you serve. He, quoting from Deuteronomy 6 verse 13. But there's another interesting truth. Oh, let me tell you this as well. That God often speaks the loudest when he doesn't speak at all. When you're reading the scriptures, sometimes you've got to read between the lines. Let me give you an example. So... <clears throat> David is going about to face Goliath and he says to King Saul, who offers him his armor, he says, I can't wear this armor because I haven't tested it, I haven't tried it. What armor had he tried? 
he, cried, he tried God's armour. And when he comes against Goliath, he goes, you come to me with a sword, a spear and a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. L-O-R-D, capital in King James. That's yod heh vav or Yahweh, or Jehovah, we'd anglicise it. He's going, I come to you in the name of the Lord, yod heh vav Hand, behold, yod is hand, hey is behold, vav is a nail, hey is behold. I come to you in hand, behold, nail, behold. Or let me anglicise that, I come to you in behold the hand, behold the nail. Bam. I'm coming to you in the victory of the cross. I've already won this battle, devil. Boom. Take that. He gets his stone. And most people interpret the five stones as because Goliath's got four brothers. That's not true. Well, it is true that he's got four brothers. But understand this. It's, that's not the reason why he takes five stones and only uses one stone. He uses five, the five stones and he chooses the five stones because there, are, there is on God's heart 12 stones according to what stones have been worn by the high priest of the 12 tribes of Israel. And the first five tribes are Reuben, which means behold a son. Simeon means hearing. Levi means joined. Judah means praise. Excuse me for spitting. And uh, Dan means judge. The enemy, the Goliaths come and he's clothed in brass. And brass is a symbol of judgment in scripture. All right. And so the devil's coming to judge mankind because the devil said, send me a man. He doesn't want to face Jesus. He wants to face you in your humanity. But we don't face him in our humanity. Let me tell you this also, that the devil has a shield bearer that runs before him into battle. We think he's doing nothing, but what he is is a spirit of fear that precedes any attack of the enemy so that you get fear and disjoint, disjointedness between your heart and your head. But then God says, you're going to judge my world. I'm sending Christ and I'm going to judge you. Uh, behold, a son, hearing from God, joined with me in praise, brings judgment. Bam, devil. And out of his spirit comes a revelation. And he downs the devil, downs Goliath. He runs to the body on the ground. That stone didn't kill him. It does say that he slayed him with a stone. But it also says this. That he ran to the, the body and he drew a sword. Whose sword did he draw? Goliath's sword. Why? Because Goliath's sword is the word of God that the enemy uses against us to judge us. And he draws the, own, the, the very own sword that the enemy uses against us, legalism and the word of God. And he takes off the authority that the devil has and claims the true victory. Jesus comes within the law and, and defeats the enemy in that. Let's move on. Where did I get there? <laughs> Goodness me. I've got to keep motoring here. Um, he says, the devil said to him, I'll give you all these things if you'll bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, it's written, Deuteronomy 6 verse 13, <clears throat> You shall worship the Lord thy God and him only shall you serve. Oh, I know how I got there. I got there because I said Gotham speaks loudest when he doesn't speak at all. David's armour. All right, do you know where else God does that? And I'll show you that, which lines up with the truth and the authority too. Authority is when your heart and your head line up. So the, the Pharisees come to Jesus and go, where did you get your authority, Jesus? You know, he's cleaning people and doing these things in the temple. That's what my audible Bible sounds like. They're really evil guys. And Jesus goes, let me ask you a question. 
the baptism of John? Is it from God or men? And they go, hey, guys, we better have a confo here. Uh, if we say... If we say it's from God, then he'll say, why didn't you believe him? But if we say it's from men, all the people will stone us because they believe that John was from, from God. So we, we, we better say we don't know and we'll be on safe ground. And Jesus goes, when they say that to Jesus, they regurgitate that to Jesus. And Jesus goes, well, neither will I tell you where I get my authority. He was actually answering their question. They answered their own question. They answered their own question because their double-mindedness was the reason that they had no authority. Hey, the double-minded man, the book of James, cannot expect anything. Cleanse your heart, you double-minded. All right, so we've got to bring our heart and our mind in this. Well, alignment, that's double-mindedness. That's why the very basis of the foundation of the kingdom is that you have a pure heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. All right, for they'll see the move of God. All right, that's, that's not goodish two-shoes pureness. It's like a singleness of heart. All right, I can't open that up here right now. <clears throat> and so, where are we? Sometimes God speaks loudest when he doesn't speak at all. And you've got to read into the passage what God wants you to see. When things draw your attention and they stand at you, you go, well, that's really awkward or I've never seen that before. That's obscure. God's getting your attention and there's a revelation in that passage of Scripture that God wants you to, to dig into because God wants to release revelation for you to move into something. So when you're reading, it becomes awkward. It doesn't make sense. Stop and dwell in that because God's got a secret or revelation for you that he wants you to own. All right? Don't fear the resistance. Go in and dig deeper. All right, so bow down. When Jesus quotes that, he says, Worship the Lord thy God, and him only shall you serve. He actually misquotes that. Can you believe it? How did he do that? Because initially it says, Fear the Lord thy God, and him only shall you serve. Wow. So Jesus, in the New Testament, aligns worship with the fear of God. And that's, the reason is because fear, the fear of God, or the word fear in Hebrew is the word yare. Yare is a yod, it's a resh, and it's an aleph. The resh in the aleph means resh is a person, and aleph means strength. It's the strength of a person, and the strength of a person is their sight, what you see. Uh, all right, so our strength is what we see. The yod is... The hand, yare means the hand you see. So fear is the hand you see. Does that make sense? Think about that. When we fear something, it's the hand we see. Oh, it's the hand of the devil at work here. Worship of God is the hand we see. God's enthroned. And so that's why Jesus says, you shall worship the Lord thy God, because as we worship him, he's the hand we see. What happens when we start to worship, though, does something dynamic. So one, number one, we need revelation. Number two, we need to align our heart and our head so that we're one man, so that we can carry that revelation and it has impact. And then we need to come into a place where we worship God because as we worship God, we enthrone him in our situation. Regardless of any circumstance, sometimes in your prayer life, you've gone through the list. What can you do but worship? But worship, because he's worthy, all right. And he's he's allowed us to enter into his victory. And as we worship, the enemy, angels go to work because we've enthroned him. 
God sends ambushments against the enemy in the spirit realm, just as in, you see in Second Chronicles chapter 20 when Israel went out and they're worshipping God, praise the Lord in the beauty of his holiness, and suddenly he sets ambushments against the enemy. All right, and as we worship, suddenly God's enthroned in our situation. If you want to step into the kingdom, accelerate it, step into the kingdom, become a person who humbles and hungers for God's word and he releases revelation, align the rest of your being up with the revelation that he's given you and suddenly become a worshiper because what else can you do? And you've got the victory, the kingdom is in place and God will rout the enemy and bring the victory that he's promised you. Hallelujah. Amen. So Father, today we thank you for the strength of your word. Lord, we thank you for revelation. We thank you that every heart in this place is hungry for revelation. We thank you, Lord, that you want to deposit to us that which would have us grow. Every person here, Lord, has a kingdom assignment. Lord, and we pray that you would release it to us. Lord, today and tomorrow and tomorrow morning, as we go through the rest of our week, Lord, speak to us through your word, words that we've never seen before in the narratives that are so familiar to us, but bring it to life, I pray, in Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. All glory to God, amen. All glory to God, amen. Hallelujah. We need the word as our foundation and we need the prophetic as the spearhead of what God wants us to do. We need both. Amen. Um, I'd like to um, ask you uh, if you would care to invest in Adam and our, my ministry. We have to pay for international fares to go to the US in a week's time. It's the truth. Um, and you know, we can't do the things we do, pay for our mortgage, uh, live uh, and travel and bring the messages that we bring and the training that we bring around the world without the generosity of people like yourselves. All right. If you've given last night, I, there's, no, there's not the leech asking you to give and give. But if you would like to invest in this ministry, if you've received a rump steak this morning, I would like to have one as well. All right. <laughs> in the spirit. And so if you would like to invest and sow into the Divinity Code Partnership, it's unique. Everybody tells us it's unique. It's not always the easiest thing. Living out of a suitcase sounds glamorous, but it's not at all. I'm away from my family. Adam's away from his family, but it's the price you pay because there's a call on your life. Everybody who wants this sort of ministry doesn't know what they're getting into. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? All right, because it looks all glamorous, but it's not at all, and you get a lot of flack. So, if you would like to give using a credit card, would you please? Ellie's going to hand out some slips before they take up the baskets. So, over here now, I understand in Victoria, Ellie becomes Ali. So, Ali, I don't know how you do that, but Ali, whose real name is Ellie, will hand out the slips. <laughs> Do you, you want one? Ali? <clears throat> All 
I want to thank you for your generosity towards us. One of the things that we sensed last night was the hunger of the people here. You are hungry for the things of the Spirit of God, which is fantastic. And that hunger is what draws not only what we deliver, but also brings the presence of God into this place. And the worship that we had this morning with the worship team was fantastic, wasn't it? So, so good. And it's hard to move out from that place, you know, once, once worship has begun like that. But it's also important that once we're in that place of worship, that we understand the importance of worship now. So some people in some churches don't come until the worship's over so they can get the meat of the word, man. But if they understood that when we're worshiping and as we, we're not just singing songs, we're actually enthroning him in our situation, suddenly things change. Bam! He's there, whew, enthroned. He's ambushing, he's healing, he's, he's doing all of his work. The kingdom's in place and he can do everything when he's enthroned. Hallelujah. Alrighty. So others of you, we like to um, consider that the, the above your heads is the glory realm. All right. And if you sown last night and you'd like to sow tonight and you're going to give via the cards, I don't know whether you're still doing that. I can see some of you still filling that out. I'd like you to raise your hand with your offering. It's a seed and you're actually sowing it into the glory above your head. All right. And so, Father, here is by faith the glory above our heads right now. And Father, you see every seed being sown in this place. Father, I pray for a return. And it says of uh, Isaac in Genesis 26 that as Isaac sowed, he received a hundredfold return. Now, he needed that to be watered, Father, and I water that seed right now by faith in the Spirit of God. Let the Spirit of God breathe life and bring life to each of those offerings. Lord, let the water of God's word and revelation flow to every one of those seeds that they might multiply and see a hundredfold in a year in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you. Well, that was, that was pretty amazing, I mean. I traveled with Adrian. This is our, last year was our 10th year we've been doing it together. And we probably, I've actually did add it up, Adrian, it's about 493 conferences we've done. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, um, and we, we are different, uh, but we, God's put us together. When God puts, ordains two ministries or, uh, you know, even marriage, but we're not married, by the way, but, but, but it works, you know what I mean? And um, we've, you know, we are completely different, but God has put us together. And I believe it's important to have people sent out in twos. I believe that's uh, it's going to happen. Uh, is that there's going to be a, uh, an era where people are going to be sent out in twos because everything's established between two or three witnesses. And it's important. And it talks about uh, when Jesus sent out, um, he sent out the 72 in twos, right? And the book of Luke, I believe it is, he sent out... Uh, you know, he sent them out in twos where the signs and wonders were manifested. And also he, um, there's also prophetic words about the two olive trees in, 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 in Zechariah 4. And there's something about coming together in twos. And uh, I, I, I want to thank you for supporting us and I want to thank you for um, receiving us. We do have an online school, uh, an academy, and uh, we want to just mention uh, we do have it online but you can't just go online and register you have to talk to us at the conference we only choose 10 people at a time uh, to go online this has 
It's something like about 13 courses online. You can do it at your own leisure, and um, it has uh, several curriculums. Uh, but what happens is that there's a lot of video courses. You can learn a lot. We do Zoom conversations every month or every two months where we do uh, minister to our partners and we, we do dream interpretations as well, live. Uh, uh, also, there's an app which you can download, which has a dictionary online as well on your phone you can have. So this is uh, something we want to just um, release today. If, you, if you're interested, you can talk to us afterwards. It's a 12-month commitment. So, you, you know, some people sign up and they want to cancel straight away, but once it's locked in, it's locked in. I just want to tell you that. After 12 months, you can cancel it if you wish. Some, most people keep it on because it's kind of more gets adds to it all the time. We have our books online you can read. Uh, you can, you know, our partners can read our books. And also there's an audio, uh, there's audio books that I have. There's an audio book that I have with the new one called The Elijah Invitation. You can listen online as well. Uh, so there's a lot of goodies. We also send you... Who, who has a Divinity Code book on them right now? No, actually on them right now. Oh, on your phone. Oh, here we go. Thank you. I, just, I forgot to get a sample. But we do send you this... Uh, thank you, Monica. As a complimentary, we send this to you if you sign up with the school. And we also send you the God's Prophetic Symbolism in Everyday Life, which is our other book. Oh, she's, you even got that as well. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're amazing. You're prophetic. No. Uh, we, we do send you that. If you do have the Divinity Code, we can send you that. This is quite interesting. It's about signs you, 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 you have come to you during the day. You don't go looking for it. It comes to you. Some weird things you go, that's really unseasonal. What does that mean, Lord? You know, something might happen to you strangely in the day. It could be the Lord speaking to you. Now, you know, you don't go a bit crazy looking for every little sign and, you know... Um, we have a disclaimer for those who actually have uh, in it. We do have a disclaimer for those who have a who, who do have problems with maybe with schizophrenia. It's not funny, but you know people, you know, yeah, have problems with that. We do have a disclaimer for that, not to use it if you have uh, some issues with paranoia or things like that. Um, and we, you know, we want to pray for these people who struggle with that. But at the same time, this is real. God can speak to you through this if you're wise with it. You've got to read. The, you've got to read the ten, the eight chapters are in it of the teaching. Um, so it's like Jeremiah when he when he saw the olive uh, sorry he saw the uh, yeah the the olive tree the almond tree sorry almond tree that was budded out of season. All right, and the Lord said to him, "What do you see, Jeremiah?" So it's the same type of principle there. So we do send these to you as a as a gift as a complimentary gift if you sign up with the school. Okay. Now, what it is, is you're not buying the school, you're not really you know, paying for it, you're actually becoming a partner with us, and we give you a complimentary to everything as a, rather than you getting a boring newsletter. Okay? You become partner with us, and we send, you the, we send you the curriculums, and you have access to it online. So if you're interested, please speak to us after. So there's only 10 forms we're giving out this, uh, this weekend. So we're going to have lunch now, I believe, Todd. Is that right? And what time are we coming back?